Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the pedagogical Matt. Hello there. And today we are going to be discussing a two-part story, Human Nature and the Family of Blood by Paul Cornell. Mm-hmm. So this is episodes eight and nine from season three. Yeah. So Human Nature, first part from yeah. the 26th of May, 2007. Mm-hmm. So, so far, mm-hmm. series three has not been going down brilliantly for you as a first-time viewer, has it, Matt? No, no. It's, not at all. Yeah. I think, for me, I'm, I may be more keen to look at it on certain aspects with a forgiving pair of eyes, mm-hmm. steeped as I am in Doctor Who and, you know. But from an outsider's perspective, I can understand why anyone would struggle with this series. These episodes, for me represent something of a turning point for the series and okay. I hope to God that you would agree that these are a strong pair of episodes because if so. not I am tempted to just abandon <laughs> this entire process. I, I, I'm going to argue with you slightly. Man. Okay. I think the beginning's very good. Right. I think the ending's very good. Right. I can take or leave the middle. Okay. You know what? I'll I'll accept that. Well, that that gives us something to talk about. Yeah, cards on the table. The the these could easily be. I struggle to do rankings sometimes. It's one of the things that I'm enjoying doing with our our mm-hmm. series wrap ups. But strong contenders for my favourite episodes of the series. To be honest, right. um, I adore this story so much. And I know I'm not alone in that. A, a lot of Doctor Who fans hold this one in very high regard for all kinds of reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's going to be an interesting one to talk about, even if uh, we have some points of contention yeah. along the way. Um, before we get into it, one bit of trivia that I don't know whether you, you spotted with regards to the, the origin of this story. Mm-hmm. This is a unique case within uh, the history of New Who, where Despite the fact uh, the majority of writers working on the new series up until this point had contributed to the Virgin New Adventures book series, Mm -hmm. which was basically the continuation after the uh, show was cancelled, this is the first time that a story is directly adapted from one of those Virgin New Adventure novels. Okay. And it was adapted by the same writer. So Paul Cornell wrote the original novel, and this is him adapting his own work to fit right. the new series. So so was it, it... It couldn't have been this version of the Doctor. No, it was the seventh Doctor, the last one uh, uh, before the... Because these novels came out before the Paul McGann movie. Uh-huh. So at that point, the current in-situ Doctor, if you like, was uh, Sylvester McCoy. Right. So it was originally starring that Doctor, but obviously when you're writing it in prose, it's the Doctor can kind of... Be, I, I think they would. So they would. Who, apart from the occasional reference, would have been the companion in that story. I haven't read the New Adventure novels yet, so I. I think at a certain point he gains a new companion. However, I think at this point it was probably still would have been with Ace, who was the last uh, companion, companion okay. traveling with the Doctor at the end of uh, the final televised series uh, with the Seventh Doctor. So. Definitely, there is a lot to, to to tweak in order to bring it into the current series. You know, Martha isn't just parroting lines that Ace would have said. Ace was not a black character for one. So, for already you've got there are things that this they can do in this episode 
that they wouldn't have done in, yeah. in the novel with, with Ace. So, so without any further prevarication, there's a lot to talk about. So should we just get stuck into it? Okay, so yeah. we begin with usual TARDIS nonsense. Well, is it the usual TARDIS nonsense, it though? Is. Okay. Right. Everything's shaking, they're all shouting yeah. and pressing buttons. But there is a literal laser blast that comes through the doors and, like, bounces off the castle. They are, like, in the heat of battle. Mm-hmm. It's not just that the TARDIS is being her rickety old self. It's they are being pursued by some unseen villains and the Doctor is in a bit of a state of panic. And we get this sort of close-up. He's like sort of rattling off instructions to Martha and stuff. And then we get this close-up of him holding up a fob watch. Yes. And saying to Martha, Martha, this watch, this watch is, and I believe it is at that exact point, it cuts. So and yeah, he, he, he tells Martha that yeah. his life depends on the watch and he needs to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then as things take a turn for the yeah. worse he wakes up in his study yeah and he is now mr smith yes and martha is his sort of servant yeah. maid and mr smith dreams that he yeah. is the doctor well at least that's so, the implication yeah, yeah so he has knowledge of the doctor yeah. yeah but only as a dream well i mean who knows because we've we've been here before haven't we, we you know school reunion the doctor mm-hmm. posing as a teacher Paul Rose posing as a dinner lady in that episode. Mm-hmm. Here, Martha as a maid. You know, it. this is, you know, same old, same old, isn't it? Or so you might think. I mean, at what point did you twig? Because obviously it doesn't hold your hand early on. At what point did you realise that this was different to them just being undercover? Um, Probably this early. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of clicked into place for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because... It's 1913. Yeah. He is Mr. Smith, a teacher. He is speaking with a different accent. Yes. He is He is a bit more of a, a standard received pronunciation instead of the sort of Essexy twang that yeah. Tennant normally does for the Doctor. Um, and yeah, he is just a, a stereotypical public school, you know, old private school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So you we know. get the titles and it cuts to the school. And seems to be an old boys' yeah. school. Yeah. And he is a teacher of history. Yeah. And at this point, we're introduced to a new character that I've just referred to as Posh Bloke. <laughs> and he's a student at the school, yeah. and he's overtly racist towards Martha. Yes. And that's... that. It's, I still feel like that scene is properly shocking, um, in a yeah. good way. So... The phrase he uses is, with hands like those, how can you ever tell if anything's clean? Yeah. Really nasty stuff. Mm. Um, And what a contrast that is to the way Martha's race is handled in uh, the Shakespeare Code. Yes. Where it's like a point of intrigue and almost mystery. Yeah. And, and, And also that the Doctor deals very flippantly with the notion that she would be treated any differently. Mm. Whereas here, it's really obvious... Martha is going to be having a shit time of it. Yes. Yeah. And that is very much (laughs) borne out over the course of this story. Um, So, we're then introduced to Nurse Joan Redfern. Who I'm assuming you recognise. Yes, of course. Played by Jessica Hines. Yeah. Of Spaced fame. Yes, yeah. Um, And I think this was my first time ever seeing her in a dramatic 
role right. rather okay. than a comedic role. Yeah. Um, and can I just say up front, she fucking knocks it out of the park. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. And one of the best things about a, a really strong... Like, I have very few nitpicks for this episode, but even in amongst all this great stuff, she is an absolute highlight of these yeah, stories. Yeah, and um, I would say, as the story progresses, yeah. and her role expands, yeah. it just gets better and better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, an, an amazing performance, but in this early stage, all we know is she's she's the school nurse, Yeah, she seems quite sweet, and, and she asks yeah. the doctor to the, the dance at the village hall. Yes. Oh, she's, this is, we get, a, it's, it's, a, it's proper, it's almost like out of a romantic comedy, isn't it? Um, mm. In that, She's helping him. The, the, it seems John Smith, the personality of John Smith, he's quite absent-minded. You know, typical yes. absent-minded yeah. professor type. You know, a bit of a way with the fairies. And he's got this enormous pile of books that he's struggling with. And and so she ends up, like, d- taking some of the books off him. And they're sort of chatting at the top of the stairs. Until it, he falls it, down them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And so... so it's, would, would you say... That John Smith is sort of that bumbling away with the fairies, or is his mind just concerned with these visions of the Doctor? I think it's not just that. I think that's possibly part of the reason why he he is a sort of bumbling as is. But I get the feeling that there is just an element of the personality that he has ended up with in this form that just means he's naturally distractible. Okay. So, uh, but yeah. So, he's then taken to like the school infirmary where Nurse yeah. Redfern is Patching healing him. him. Up. Yeah. Martha comes to check on him. Yeah. And he talks about how he dreams of being the Doctor. So he dreams yeah. he has two hearts. Can I can I just stop you? And, sorry, I'm, there's so many little moments that I wanted to highlight in this. Okay. And and one that I really love, uh, uh, one of Martha's sassiest moments to date is she bursts in uh, and says, "Oh my God, is he all right?" And um, I think it's it's uh, Nurse Redford that anon- admonishes her and says, um, shouldn't you knock first before entering? And she says, oh, right, yeah, sorry. Goes back in, like, passive-aggressively knocks on the door and comes back and says, but is he all right? And I... I th- I think this is so, as good as everything else is. This is such a strong Martha story, mm. I think. And I, I love that moment. So, yeah. Well, it, it's sort of needed. I think oh, last week absolutely. we criticised Martha for being a bit of a nothing. Yes. And yeah. She's almost the main character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So much of it is about how how the decisions that have been made affect her as much as uh, as the Doctor here. So, so, like we say, in his dreams of being the Doctor, he dreams he has two hearts. Yes. The nurse checks that. Now, I thought... Is he going to get caught out here? Yeah, yeah. No, only one. Yeah. Definitely human. Yeah, so we know that that basically confirms us that something's happened here on a deeper level than just some kind of psychological trick. He has somehow yeah. genetically changed his body. Okay. So he shows Nurse Redfern a journal where he's been recording his dreams. In amongst that, we see the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. The Empty Child. Yeah. A Dalek. Yeah. Mox of Balhoon. The Autons. Yeah. Rose. Cybermen. The TARDIS. Yeah. A, the Watch. Yeah. And do we get pictures of old Doctors? We do. 
We do. We get we get sketches of all of his previous faces, including Paul McGann. And that it is impossible to understate what a huge moment this was. Because up until this point, like fandom had been referring to Chris Reckleson as the ninth doctor, uh, David Tennant as the tenth. But there was no because we never saw the regeneration from Paul McGann into the ninth doctor we didn't know for a fact that there weren't other doctors in between we didn't know whether we were just pretending that the eighth doctor didn't exist classic who is rarely acknowledged very rarely yeah i mean there's things like oh the daleks are my old enemies yeah yeah. but it's almost like a soft reboot yes oh absolutely Um, it is Uh, so so to not just acknowledge stuff from the main classic show but also to basically acknowledge that the eighth doctor definitely was an incarnation of this same character and then that gives credence to all of the audio adventures that big finish as an independent company went and did with paul mcgann it's basically giving those fans the opportunity to say yes that all counts right and so, and it's crazy to think that all it is is just one throwaway shot it, it's of a sketch of a face. Three seconds, Martin. yeah. But all of a sudden, that mo- that single moment validates, you know, so much dozens work. of uh, uh, upon dozens of stories, and and uh, it meant the world to fans at, at the time, and, and continues to. So, and that journal, he refers to it as his journal of impossible things. Yes, which is a beautiful name. And that object, because, you know, it's a physical prop. I don't know who has it, but that, to me, if if I if I won the lottery and I could have, like, any piece of Doctor Who memorabilia, That's I think that, go for. that would be it. I would love to own that that item. I, I'd, love, I'd love to win the lottery yeah. and say, David, I've bought you a piece of Doctor Who memorabilia. <laughs> and just in the middle of your front room, a yeah. full-size face of Bo. <laughs> <laughs> There's an episode of The Simpsons, isn't there, where Mr. Burns gives them, like, an Aztec head. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, the size of their living room. Yeah. 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 Be a good talking okay. point. Yeah, it certainly would. <laughs> so, we get an explanation of how Martha links to Mr. Smith. In that she was owned by his family, and he effectively inherited her yeah. as property. Yeah. Um, and then... As a result of that, you would think, you know, there might be some sort of acknowledgement that, you know, Martha's a person too. But Redfern just tells her to remember her position. Yeah. It's brutal, isn't it? Back off. Yeah, yeah. And it's strange because already, I know we've already had like a couple of these couple of scenes with her, but you're inclined to be sympathetic towards Nurse Redfern as a character. She's Mm. not a villain in this story but she's of her time exactly and I think that's one of the things that this episode does so well and better than a lot of historical episodes we've seen up until this point it's acknowledged it shows that historical period warts and all Mm. and so you get people who aren't villainous but who display certain attitudes and behave in certain ways that are truly repugnant Mm. to a modern day audience and I think that makes a really interesting sort of tension. So, yeah. So, we're back now with Posh Bloke, the yeah. student who's yeah. less than pleasant. Now, this isn't the one. This is this is the one that looks a little bit like a young George Osborne, isn't it? Yes. 
not the one because there is there are a couple of two, faces. So yeah, the, the second one we're going to talk about. Yeah. I know his name. He's Jeremy Baines. Yes, this one I think he's called something like Huntington because he's at yeah. the boys' school. He's only referred yeah. to by his surname, yeah. um, and he's currently bullying another student called yeah. Latimer. Yes. Do you recognise Latimer? Jojen Reed. It's Jojen Reed from yeah. Game of Thrones. So played by Thomas Sankster. Yeah. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan, you might yeah. know him as the little boy from Love Actually. Sure. I don't. It's a good Christmas film. Alright. Um, so yeah, it's Jojen Reed. It's, yeah. He's the one that taught Bran Stark about the Three Eyed Raven. So basically yeah. it's all his fault. Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> um, but I think what's interesting is that Obviously, Jojen Reed, his main thing is that he can see the future. He's, he's a like green a psychic. And he's basically the pl- same deal with the character in this right, story. Let, let's talk about this. Okay. So, I, I've written in my notes, Latimer seems to be able to predict the future. Yes. Now, that plot thread is completely unnecessary. Is Apart it? Apart from the yeah. very end where he uses it, yeah. but doesn't do anything. It's... Okay. He basically, not, he says yeah. he's able to make educated guesses yeah. that tend to be correct. So I think they're talking about their family, and he says, "Oh, your family's from oh, oh, yeah. Dundee." Yeah. And the guy goes, "How can you possibly know that?" Yeah. He thinks he'd be reading so his post. There's yeah. like this supernatural element to him. Okay. That is not explained, doesn't go okay. anywhere, <laughs> and is totally unnecessary. Let's tackle that towards the end of the episode, I think, because it's. Um... Yeah, I, if we can put put a pin in that for now, I'll okay. t- I'll t- I'll talk a bit more about that when we get to the end of the episode because I think it's a bit more justified than you're giving it credit for, but we'll get there when we get Is there. Is it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Martha goes to the pub. Yeah. And she with it because she's got a friend, um, a fellow maiden. Uh, this a cleaner thing. lady. I, I forget her name. I've um, just referred to her as cleaner lady. Yeah, it's fair dues. Um, and they see a light in the sky. Yeah. Now, what's important about this light, David? Yeah, it's green. It's green. Yeah. So it's new aliens. Yeah. It's not red. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So these must be good aliens, yeah. not dangerous. Yeah, probably. Um, so uh, before we get to that, um, I did want to mention I I like the scenes that Martha gets with uh, her friend here, and she drops the 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 knowledge that one month and we're out of here. Yes. So the, the implication is they've been there like a couple of months already. And um, she's saying that like, you know, one month and, and, and we're off and she's saying she's going to go traveling. And she's not, I feel like she should have maybe been uh, a little more guarded in how she spoke to her. Mm. Because she's saying, oh, the places will go. I wish I could tell you. But, you know, imagine you could go anywhere in the stars. It's like she's, she sounds like a crazy person, first of all. <laughs> but but also potentially bites her in the arse later on as well. So this green light scans yeah. Nurse Redfern and then yes. goes back up into the sky. Yeah. And a little subplot when we go back to Posh Bloke and Latimer yeah. is that Posh Bloke has a friend yeah. called Jeremy Baines. Who, who is he, played by... Harry Lloyd. Yeah. Do you recognise him? I do, yeah. He from? is from Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, he plays Viserys Targaryen, <laughs> yes. Daenerys' brother. The but... first truly satisfying death yeah. in Game of Thrones. Gets crowned by yeah. Khal Drogo. Yes, yeah. If you've not seen Game of Thrones, we won't say any more than that. But it's one of the things that really 
pays off in that first series. Uh, yeah. So, this little subplot is that Jeremy Baines has been commanded by Posh Bloke to go find a stash of beer. Somebody's yeah, buried some beers beer in, in the, the woods. woods. Yeah. He sneaks yeah. out of the school. Typical private school yeah. shenanigans, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so do, do we see him in, in the woods? Yes, he's in the woods. Yeah. He sees the light. Yeah. And, and I I love the way he plays this because it's so just like, like I say is there anybody out there? It's just like yeah. it's just this dim posh twit. So um, he, he touches an yeah. invisible spaceship, yeah. and he enters it. And as you say, yeah. he's just like, "Good day, folks. I'm cooking bard." But once he's entered the ship, yeah. Martha also investigating this light. Yeah. Can't see him, can't see the ship because yeah. it's invisible. Yes. It's just by chance he seems to be in the right place. When he yeah. touches it, it gives the, like a greenish outline. Yes. And yeah. you can see where the door is. Yes. Okay. So Jeremy Bain speaks to the aliens. Yep. They are his family. Sorry, they are the family. Yes. So they say, we're the family. And he just goes, oh, well, I'm Jeremy Baines. <laughs> yes. I, I can't work yeah. out if I hate or love Jeremy Baines. I think, I, I, think I, I like Jeremy Baines, but yeah. I don't really like him once the aliens oh, take home. No, I he love... does such a weird smile where yeah. half of his mouth is yeah. halfway up his face yeah. and the other half doesn't move. Yes, yeah, I know. I love that smirk that he does. I love Harry Lloyd's performance in this start to finish. It is... It's big, right? It's it, he yeah. doesn't He doesn't hold back at any point, really. But... Oh, no, it's See, just a treat at first, for me. When I, I I watched this, I thought I really can't stand this. Yeah. And then, I think it was between the two episodes. I went on Google and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, it's Viserys. Yeah. And he's playing a shitty character that yeah. I'm not supposed to like. And yes. then I yeah. sort of fell in love with the performance. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Like. Um... Ah, it's good fun. But um, so, anyway, yeah, so so I think we see that he's going to get sort of like... Because they say sort of something sinister. Um, I forget exactly what, but the implication yeah. is we, that they're going to like him inhabit him. Yeah. And so. when he returns, Latimer is wary of him. Yeah. So he seems to be using this future sight yeah. that at times is shockingly accurate, but here he's just got a bad feeling about something. Yeah. Doesn't know <laughs> So... The next scene I want to talk about, because this was sort of a bit of a eureka moment for me in yeah. the episode. Yeah. Martha has the TARDIS in her yes. head. Yeah. Now, up until this point, I didn't know whether the Doctor and Martha were playing roles yeah. or whether they really were. But yeah. at this point, it's sort of acknowledged that the Doctor fully believes he's John Smith. Yes. But Martha... Yeah. Is just Martha. Yeah, and I really love how this scene is constructed. For one, I think it's some of Murray Gold's best soundtrack work up mm-hmm. until this point, because basically the way it, it, it's constructed is we've got Martha in the present, um, walking through, the, and the TARDIS is kind of like it's on like power saving mode. Yes. It's like it's the lighting is dim. Um, it's she's not quite dead, but. She's not fully up to speed, and she's like just walking through the TARDIS, touching bits of the console, and and it's it's this sort of almost happy, wistful music at first, and then it starts to cut in little flashes back 
to the the stuff that we saw in John Smith's dream. Yeah. You know, when they're under attack and the Doctor's all frantic and he's explaining what's going to happen. And you get these sort of little flashes, keeps cutting back from, from the present to the past to the present to the past. And it, it pieces it together like a jigsaw puzzle. And the music doesn't go from happy to sad in an obvious way, but as the drama ramps up, the sort of happy notes feel more and more discordant with what we're seeing mm-hmm. on screen until you get culminates with the doctor sort of saying like oh, I'm gonna have to change my biology biology, I'm gonna have to turn into a human and he's got the chameleon arches his like sort of metal hat that sort of like dangles down and like, you know that and Martha says, Is it gonna hurt? And the doctor just sort of casually says, Oh yes. And then cut to him screaming in agony. Sparks flying in the TARDIS. Really, really powerful stuff. And I don't know. I it, Every time I watch a screen, it's like a gut punch mm. to me. It's it's so well constructed. Um, and by the end of that scene, you are fully caught up. And you're like, oh, God, no. The Doctor is so deep undercover here. He doesn't know yeah. that he is not a human being. So... The only other bit of information we get here yeah. that we didn't in the opening scene yeah. is the thing that they're running from, hiding from, yeah. has a short life span, yeah. so they're going to go undercover yeah. and just basically wait for it to die. Yeah, which is why Martha was saying earlier, one month and we're gone. Yeah, she's just she's just got to wait it out. And oh my goodness me, the the dedication that Martha is giving to to be like. To be so dedicated to someone and, and, and travelling with the Doctor to be like, yeah, I will commit to working undercover as a maid, mm. as a black maid in a public school, you know, old-fashioned public school in the turn of the 20th century um, for months just to keep you safe. Mm. He never rose. It, it's never. about time he started yeah. showing her some respect. <laughs> Rose never had to do anything like that for no, the doctor. I mean, she was a dinner lady, but entirely different circumstances. Yes, and for like a week, maybe. Yeah. Right. So then we get a message from the doctor, a pre-recorded message that says, "If anything goes wrong, open the watch." Yes. Basically, at the final hour, when you seem to have lost all hope. If you open the watch, it will bring me back. Yes, the, his his essence, if you like, is yeah. contained within that watch. So the next scene, Latimer goes to see Mister Smith and opens the watch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because okay, so this is what the first point was. I would say that that Latimer's kind of psychic connection yeah. plays into it is because basically, as he's walking past the watch, which has like a perception filter on it, so people almost don't notice that it's there. But first of all, he manages to bypass that. He notices it. And furthermore, he can hear voices calling to him. And it's actually, it's like, you know, he can hear the doctor's voice and stuff. So he knows there's something strange with this watch. And he opens it up and he gets like this glimpse. And I think we get like a really fast cut montage, don't we? Yes. Of of bits and pieces. And I will admit, we, we talked earlier about how, you know, we're acknowledging classic who and stuff. A little bit of me does wish we'd seen some uh, classic clips in mm. there. It would have been a good opportunity to do it, but 
I get why they did. I don't know. What's the reason we didn't? Is it all tied up in rights? And... No, it will have purely been that they made the, the, the choice that... Well, for one, you've got differing film quality. Yeah. You know, you've got black and white stuff and, and colour stuff and, and the stuff that was made in a different era. Different aspect ratio even, because this is all shot in widescreen. This was back in the days of 4-3 square yep. televisions. Um, and uh, also, at this point, we're only two and a half series in. Yeah, I, I think suppose it's there's a, still a lot of newcomers. Yeah, they are being they're being coy. I think you will notice as the series goes on that that the the series gets a little bit bolder sometimes in acknowledging the classic continuity. But with hindsight, I do kind of wish they just peppered in. You know, just just give me an ice warrior here, or <laughs> you know, we got a little bit there. on gridlock. A yeah. acknowledgement of crap people. We did, yes, yeah. Um, but again, no detail. Just, no. Oh, I've met these guys. <laughs> yeah, it's just throwing a bone to the fans, isn't it? Right. Um, yeah. So when the watch is opened, this triggers Jeremy Baines. Yeah. And he activates the soldiers. Yes. Well, he, he sort of, he does this like deep sniff, doesn't he? Because yeah. it's like, which is a thing that, uh, you know, will, will occur throughout the episode. It's like, he's basically, you know, because they are hunting for the doctor. And he's suddenly, he's got, he's literally, he's caught the scent. So, when he activates the soldiers. Yeah. It's scarecrows. Yeah. That come to life. Yeah. You, this is, I thought this might be a sticking point for you. Well, it's just, it's not good, is it? <laughs> I mean, the I effects are alright. But yeah. then, they sort of explain it. And this is a bit like a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about reversing... The, the neutron polarity. flow. Yeah. They just sort of go, oh, synthetic living fibres disguised as straw. It's just like, just say the scarecrows can life. We don't need, <laughs> we don't need this bollocks. So uh, they've got to, you've got to play by Doctor Who rules. And Doctor Who rules are, if it looks like magic, you've got to toss off a line of scientific mumbo jumbo <laughs> to make it not just be magic. Right. The Scarecrows attack an old man and yep. a young girl. Yeah. We don't see anything else from that. No, they, moment, do they? at this yeah. point, we've just yeah. witnessed the murder. <laughs> yeah, effectively. And we cut back to the school. Yeah. Where, this is 1913, so they're doing arms training. Yes. I think there's yeah. rifles and machine guns yes. yeah. being used. And this, this is the bit I just... I just couldn't wrap my head around. Yeah. Latimer sees his own death. Yeah. So, up until now, his powers, for want yeah. of a better term, just manifest themselves as him making educated guesses. Yeah. He's not had yeah. visions. Yeah. But the vision he has is his own death. He dies yeah. on the field of battle in World War Two. Yes. In World War One. World War One. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Baines then sniffs. And realises that John Smith is important in some way. Yeah, he hasn't made the connection yet because he can't smell Time Lord on him. No. And then we get a conversation where Nurse Redfern talks to Smith yeah. of her husband's death. Yeah. So he died again. Yeah, the, ba the Battle of uh, Spy on Cop, I believe, okay. she mentions. Yeah, So we, so she's basically sort of... 
she's uncomfortable with watching these young boys being trained for war. Yes. Um, saying what we're all thinking at that point, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I do think it's one of the interesting little subplots of this story, you know, setting it on the eve of the First World War, effectively. And, you know, we are burdened with this knowledge of knowing what's to come mm-hmm. for a lot of these boys. Um, and then, see, you know, seeing them just sort of, you know, blasting away at sandbags and uh, buckets. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's a powerful scene to be honest, mm. and I think it's especially with Jessica Stevenson's, uh, sorry Jessica Hines now, um, her performance, uh, it lends it that gravity. Now, would you say that scene gets better or worse when we're introduced to two blokes lifting a piano, and a lady with a pram okay, walking yeah. underneath? Yeah, and just as the rope's about to snap, yes, the doctor throws a cricket ball. They make some sort of weird root Goldberg machine <laughs> yeah. that prevents this yes. lady's yeah. path. The piano yeah. does fall, smashes to the ground. Yeah, so she he he saves the the, the mother and her child from a very squishy what, and musical death. What purpose does that serve other than to show that there's maybe a little bit of Doctor Magic still in John Smith? I think it's exactly that. Um, it also, I think, uh is another moment that deepens the relationship between the two of them because you know her reaction is she's kind of both incredulous and uh, and admiring of the fact that this you know this extraordinary head in this, this clouds kind of man can suddenly just look at a situation like that one well-timed throw of a cricket ball and um, you know avert disaster I like it as a moment. I think it's also maybe enhanced by the fact that um, I don't know how much you know about the Fifth Doctor, played by Peter Davison, who mm-hmm. has a bit of a cricket as a motif. Okay. So there are. She says, you know, is this the sort of sort of man you are, you know, doing impossible things with cricket balls? There are moments where uh, the Fifth Doctor oh, prior. genuinely does do impossible things things with cricket balls. Um, right. So yeah, I like so- it. Following that, they are then walking together across the fields, and yeah. he finally invites the nurses to the village dance. Yeah, and then when adjusting a scarecrow, he claims that he learnt art in Gallifrey. Oh yes, yeah. She says, "Oh, it must be in Ireland." And then the next point I just want to ask you about. Yes, he claims his parents are called Sydney and Verity. Yes. So now, have you looked this up? Yeah. No, but I I'm. Aware, I think there's another Doctor Who podcast called Verity. There is. It's actually I, um a shout out to Verity, fantastic podcast. Um, all female panelists, and okay. they do a really good job of like, uh, for for me as someone who's, I like to be a good feminist ally, but you know at the end of the day I am still just a bloke, so it's really refreshing to hear a you know a variety of female perspectives on Doctor Who. So if you want another podcast to subscribe to, check out Verity. But anyway, yes. So that sort of alerted me to the relevance of the name. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming it's like an old companion or something like that. Verity Lambert is the original producer of Doctor Who. And Sidney Newman was the man who came up with the initial concept 
of Doctor Who, uh, so before lit- handing it to Verity. Literally, to- his parents yeah. are Sydney and Verity. Yes, so that's a lovely little nod. To, it's it's extremely meta, but um, yeah, you could argue that Sydney and Verity are the parents of Doctor Who. So oh, that's, that's a really that's sp- really nice. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So back in John Smith's study, he draws the nurse. Yeah, it's a little bit like the scene in Titanic. <laughs> yeah, and they kiss. Yeah. At the exact it's... moment they kiss, Martha walks in. Yeah. And John Smith is just really, Martha, what have I told you about coming in unannounced? And uh, uh, and Martha is properly shell-shocked. Yeah. So she goes back to the TARDIS yeah. to check this video message where there's different steps, yeah. different possibilities, Doctor... what to do in certain Yeah, scenarios. she's like fast-forwarding through it. She's obviously watched this video message quite a few times. And you're like, like he's say, he's at first you think he's like, you know, just four or five golden rules. And she fast-forwards and he's like, and number 37 or something. Yeah. Like, he's got this long but list of instructions, but... She begins to panic because yeah. there's no possible plan or yeah. eventuality where the Doctor falls in love. He'd not he, he accounted just... for that. Yeah. So that raises his personality a little bit yeah. in that, you know, we've seen that Martha has affections for him yes, and he just simply doesn't see that as an eventuality. So Martha says, you had to fall in love with a human and it wasn't me. Yeah. So so there we go. We get the, the first really explicit acknowledgement of Martha's feelings. And I think possibly this is the first time she's fully admitting it to herself. Mm. Just how much she's smitten with the Doctor. Um, and yeah, so she's in a bit of a pickle, really. And um, I don't know whether... Because the thing is, every time I watch this episode... I mean, I know it's... I, I've watched this these episodes so many times... If you take a step back, you can see how this is going to end. Mm-hmm. You can see the, the writing on the wall, the tragedy that is going to befall poor John Smith. But in the moment, I always forget about it. Mm-hmm. I'm so wrapped up in that because it is, I think, the, the, the romance between John Smith and um, I'm blanking on her first name now. Joan, isn't it? Joan Redfern. Yes. It is such a beautiful, innocent, it's it's like it's something straight out of a of a period romantic mm-hmm. comedy or romantic drama thing. I I think it's a really beautiful little love story that's somehow interwoven in with all of this sci fi nonsense. And I and I believe it a hundred percent. And that is so hard to do to in the space of at this point thirty minutes, forty mm-hmm. minutes at most of television. In a story that we, we've already had, you know, a bunch of extraneous stuff, you know, aliens and scarecrow mm-hmm. monsters and all this, to have already established such a real, tangible chemistry, um, I think is extraordinary acting on, on both their parts. Uh, and I, I haven't really acknowledged yet the, the, um, what David Tennant is doing in this. His performance in these episodes is nothing short of extraordinary. Mm. He's putting a good shift in. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. So, by now, the old man and the girl that we saw be attacked earlier are in league with Jeremy Baines. Yeah. They've also been possessed. And the Scarecrows kidnap Martha's cleaner friend. Yeah. So they present like a weird green orb that they refer to as Mother of Mine. Yes. 
and it's going to take the form of the cleaner. Yeah. And can, can I just add at this yeah. point, this whole mother of mine, father of mine, yeah. brother of mine, sister of mine, hated it. Really? Fucking annoying. Oh, no, I like it's that. It's like a stupid drinking game you play at university. That yeah. it, it It's really fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just one other little detail that I really love about these episodes. I love the, the affectation of how the, uh, the family of blood talk and behave. And, because it makes them so... They are so sinister and so slimy and... Yeah, I really, I no, I, I, I think the family of blood are fantastic villains. I'm not a fan. Yeah, fair dues. I like Jeremy Baines, but the rest just. Anyway, the next day, Martha goes for lunch or evening tea yeah. with the cleaner friend. Oh, specifically, it was like you know, it was, she's got a plate of afternoon tea because she said Mister So and So didn't didn't want didn't it. So it. so you know they. You know, another just a little glimpse into life as a maid in, in, in a school of this time. So, she says yeah. again that soon Smith is leaving soon. Yeah. The penny seems to drop with the cleaner. Yeah. So, when Martha begins to walk away, the cleaner just shoots her. Or shoots at her. Yeah. Oh, I, I think we should acknowledge that Martha does something really clever here. Because at first, Martha doesn't suspect that there's anything wrong with, with her friend. But then she starts talking in this... She's, she's probing for more and more information about... John Smith and and, and yeah. she's not really acting like her normal self. So Martha cleverly tests that by saying, "Oh, shall I just uh, shall I pop a bit of mutton and gravy in the pot um, with that? I mean, or how about some sardines and jam?" And and her friend's like, "Oh yes, that'd be lovely." And just automatically, okay, you failed the human test. Yeah. And so she just slowly creeps out and then legs it. And yeah. then yeah, she starts shooting at her. So, yeah. Martha tells Smith that he needs to open the watch at this point. Yeah. But we know Latimer took it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Joan's present as well. And, and like, you know, at first, the doc- uh, 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 John Smith is, you really want to punch him at this point because he is so patronising towards Martha. Because he, he, at first, he's like, you know, you're rambling like an idiot. And, and, and uh, and then when she says, no, no, look, you know, basically everything in your journal is true. And he realizes that she must, oh, she must have read the journal. Yeah. And then she sort of, uh, he says to Joan, cultural differences. And then takes on this patronizing tone with Martha and says, Martha, what this, we call this, is a story. And it's yeah. just like, and you're just like, oh, you. <laughs> so Mar- so because of all this, Martha yeah. slaps him. Yes. And he throws her out. Yeah. Until Redfern points out, you, you know, you do have a watch. Yeah. It was over there. Yes. Yeah. So Martha then runs past Latimer to the TARDIS. Yeah. And the family are raiding her quarters. Yeah. We then cut to the dance where the doctor dances. Oh, yeah. A little, little callback. little callback. Yeah. So he's dancing with Redfern. Yeah. I think they do a waltz. Yeah. And then Martha implores. Redfern just to give her two minutes of her time, which she does. Yeah. So Martha then gives uh, John Smith the sonic screwdriver and says, "Can you tell me its name?" Yeah. And he begins to freak out a little bit. Yeah, because you can you can feel like there's some cognitive dissonance here. Like there is some buried deep in his brain. There is some part of him that does recognise it, but he can't quite admit it. 
And is this the moment where Joan puts him on the spot and asks him to give more detail about his life? Or is that later? Could be later. Yeah. This this is the part where there's one line here I really like, yeah. when the family arrive and there's like a veteran outside and he says, yeah. oh, can you spare a penny for the veterans? <laughs> and Baines just says, spare a penny? I haven't even spared you. Yeah. <laughs> Blasts him. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I like the family of blood because they are just like, they are proper comic book villain evil. Mm. There is, look, they are just in it for themselves. They don't give a shit about any of these other people. They want immortality and getting hold of the last remaining Time Lord is their best shot at it. So, once inside, they're effectively going to kill everyone. Yeah. John Smith has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Until they say they're going to kill either Martha or Redfern. So I think they say, we're going to kill your friend or your lover. And that's where this episode ends. Strong cliffhanger, I would say. Yeah, but there's no such thing as a strong cliffhanger in Doctor (laughs) Who. Well, one of them might have died. So, we're now into... I mean, they didn't, but... No. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. We're now into Family of Blood yep. from the 2nd of June, yep. 2007. So, this episode begins with Latimer opening the watch, yep. which causes the family to go mental. Yes. And somehow, in amongst all this, Martha steals one of the guns from yeah, the family. Yeah, just sort of... She could out. have done that earlier. Yeah. Well, she didn't have the perfect distraction, but she now does with Latimer opening the watch. So yeah. she threatens Baines and tells everybody to leave. Yeah. So they evacuate the dance. Yes. And whilst they're talking outside, I think John Smith notices Latimer and says, get back to the school, something like that. Yeah. Latimer says, you're just as bad as them. Yeah. So he's he knows roughly what's going on. Yeah, he's he, in those... In that montage that you saw, don't forget, amongst the things you saw was uh, the Doctor murdering all of the Ragnos babies. Yes. That was one of the definite things that we did see in that montage. Yeah. So you can well, you can understand his perspective we'll if he's got in a big jumble. But anyway, yes. So Scarecrow grabs Martha's gun, yeah. but she still manages to escape. Yeah. And then back at the school, Smith rallies all the students to take arms. Yeah. Um, the only people that don't really engage in this is another teacher and the headmaster. Yes, the, so, the headmaster is at first completely. He's like, "What madness is you know this?" And we haven't really talked much about the headmaster yet. Um, I forget the name of the guy who plays. I think it's a really solid little performance that he does. Because um, he doesn't have a lot to do, but he's pretty good. Yeah, in what he does. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, he gets a really good scene. You know short while as well I think yeah. so he the headmaster that is yeah. says you know I'm gonna go give Baines a good old talking to <laughs> yes. yeah. so as he goes yeah. out yeah. Um, Baines basically explains that war is coming to Britain yeah. and just shoots the other teacher yes yeah yeah. at which point you know the headmaster suddenly realizes that maybe there is more going, going on. It's, it's it's not just a drunk student which is his initial yeah. so he retreats and yeah. orders the school to fortify yes yeah and bane summons more scarecrows yeah now in the school we have the young girl sister of mine yes skulking around so i think they order her in because she's the smallest yeah she's likely slip to be in noticed. undetected yeah yeah and 
Despite she, the fact she's she's we haven't made mention of this, the fact that she is constantly holding this really bright red balloon, yeah. which she could let go of at some point. If she, if you want to be stealthy, you don't see ninjas going around with bright red balloons. To, but hey ho! So she reports that the doctor's somehow playing a trick. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we then get a little conversation between Redfern and Martha, and yeah. Martha explains, you know. Not only is she more knowledgeable than the nurse, but she's actually training to be a doctor. Yeah. Which Redfern basically says black people can't be doctors. Yeah. Well, she said, you know, um, well, first of all, she's like, a, you know, a woman. They wouldn't, you wouldn't train a woman, and certainly not one of your colour is her yes. phrasing, which is, again, ooh, it's uh, it, it's jarring to hear, but you know, it's, it's of the time. It's exactly of the time, and so. Um, Martha tries to demonstrate her knowledge by uh, by holding up her hand and saying, look, bones of the hand, and she lists off the Latin name for every single bone of the hand, um, to which Joan says, you just read that in a book. And Martha says, exasperated, yes, to pass my exams. It's like, yeah. how, how else would you discover that? <laughs> yeah, so, oh, and, and it's again, it's a little moment for Martha, but it's such a good moment for Martha, I think. So, father of mine, the father of the family of blood, yeah. has now uncovered the TARDIS. Yes. And back with Nurse Redfern, she begins to... S- challenge john smith about his past yes and he can't is... answer any of her questions yeah she, that's the thing where she's really putting him on the spot like um because at first she's like you know okay where did you grow up you know and he's reading off the names of streets and regions and things like that but he can't give any specifics about his childhood like yeah. it's all just factual and that's where you realize it's just this the, the, the what the tardis was doing with the comedian arch in in, in knitting together a backstory for him but it's just compiled of facts, basically. So, Latimer, at this point, reveals to the posh bloke that when Latimer sees his death, they're actually together. They're killed yeah. by a falling shell in yeah. the war. And he begins to scare away the sister of mine from the family of blood with the watch. So she approaches, and he uses it almost like a weapon. I don't think quite. I think he just sort of. Well, he's he, like he exposes the power yeah. within it. It's, yes, it's not yeah. a forceful weapon, but the exposure of the power and knowledge within it is yeah. what scares her away. Yeah. Then the next part, yeah. just in big red letters in my notes, I've just put scarecrow massacre. Yeah. So. Yeah. The scarecrows are like cannon fodder piling through yeah. the entry to the school. Yeah. We know that the boys are trained in arms. So yeah, they it's, have... it's a very conscious echo of the training scene we saw earlier where it was sandbags and, and, and buckets on mops. Yeah. And here we've got scarecrows. So it's one step up, but... And and it's it sort of... It's played... Again, it's like a montage they use. Uh, I think it's the second time in this episode that they've used the... I don't know if you're familiar with like old private schools. They would have like school songs. Yes. And one of the most popular songs of of, of that era, and it's used in a lot of like things set within these kinds of settings of these periods. Uh, he who would valiant be against all disaster, let him in constancy follow the master. That um, it's, a, it's a, it was like the most popular school. So it's used to this day. Right. All kinds of private schools. Have you ever seen the film Clockwise? 
No. It's a John Cleese film. Very, very funny. Worth a watch. Um, he plays a headmaster in that of like a posh school and it, it's used in that as well. So it's a bit tropey, but I think it's really effective here that you've got these children sweetly singing this old Christian hymn mm. about, you know, obedience and, and, you know, follow the master, the headmaster standing there whilst they are gunning down these... That yes, they're scarecrows and they're threatening them, but it's still you're still watching children with machine guns. <laughs> yeah. So once they've gunned down all the scarecrows, yeah, the little girl sister of mine appears, yeah, and sort of walks through the crowd, yeah. Now the headmaster orders everyone to cease fire, yeah, and trusts her, welcomes her into the sanctuary oh, of and the it's, school. We, you, you're probably starting to recognise that this is a thing that crops up every so often in a Doctor Who story where you've got the noble idiot. Yes. We saw it with um, the Prime Minister in Army of Ghosts. We saw it with Solomon in Evolution of the Daleks. He steps out to talk with this girl. We know he is going to die. But he cannot in good consciousness, whatever anybody tells him, look at this innocent little girl and not treat her mm-hmm. as just that. And he pays the ultimate price for it. And that's the moment where I, I honestly think, like, it's just played really well. It's a really impactful little moment because he's not, look, that headmaster, he's not necessarily a nice man. He's he's one of the people who's been justifying all of the, you know, we've got to prepare the, the children for war. War is glorious. I fought in the war and, you know, I lost good men and blah, 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 you know. But he is this product of empire. And therefore, not necessarily a wholly sympathetic character, but still at the end of the day, he wants to do the right thing. He what He's trying to protect the innocents, but he's paying this price for it. Yeah. So, once she's killed him, yeah, everyone begins to retreat. Now, a question I ask. How does the father from the family yeah. of blood just move the TARDIS around? <laughs> That's true. Like, it he just does, appears yeah. at the front of the school and later yeah. on it, it's like in a field yeah he just just manages to um, shift it yeah because I, I assume although so we've talked in the past yeah. if the outside of the TARDIS is moved yeah the people inside the TARDIS also move yes so therefore the mass within the TARDIS yeah must be relevant to the mass outside the TARDIS not necessarily well, it must be really heavy, unless it's some sort of it, dimension door. Well, it effectively is, you know, because it, because it has the dimensions of the interior is greater than the dimensions of the yeah. exterior. Um, we've seen it. We've seen it move around before. We um, Torchwood the, shifted it. They they just picked it up, took it, put it on the back of a lorry, and brought it into their warehouse. I just thought it'd be like hugely. Heavy. No, there's. I think it's pretty consistently been characterised that basically, in the same way that the external dimensions are smaller, the external mass okay. is smaller. That makes sense. Yeah. So, John Smith begins to freak out at this idea that he may be the Doctor. He yeah. begins to ask, why can't I simply just be John Smith? I'm <sighs> happy as John Smith. And why I, can't everyone yeah. just leave me alone? And again, Tennant's performance here. Because yeah. he's, he, he's properly breaking down and... You would in those. Imagine you're you're. It's almost it's like he's being gaslighted. Mm. Everyone's telling him everything you thought was your life is a lie. You're you're some other person, and and you're like, but 
but no, this life is good. I, I you know, he's he's got a job that he likes. He's just met a woman that he's falling in love with. Mm-hmm. He's happy, and in fact, he's probably the t- the scenes we've seen with him as John Smith are happier than any moments we've seen with the Doctor, really. Because the Doctor, you know, one of the themes is the, the how lonely he is, and mm-hmm. you know, and 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 how he sort of seems to carry the weight of the universe on his shoulders. And John Smith is unburdened of that. Yeah, he's just a small man leaving a small leading a small life. Yeah, but he's happy. Yeah. So um, Martha yeah. Smith and Redfern hide in the Cartwright's house. So we find yeah. out the little girl is named Lucy Cartwright. Her house is abandoned because obviously her parents so, are out looking for her. I think she and she presumes actually they're probably dead at this point. Yeah. Yes. So um, Latimer arrives with the watch. Yes. And the family of blood at this point are just shelling the village. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I like again Martha logics it out in you know classic Martha fa- fashion because they knock on, there's this knock on the door and they're like, um, at first they're like oh god do we open the door and Martha's like. Pretty sure if it was the family, they wouldn't be knocking. <laughs> just like just suddenly the voice of reason. So um, this is where we get a little explanation from Martha. Yeah. And probably my favourite bit of Tennant's performance. Yeah. Is where Smith becomes upset that the yeah. Doctor never accounted for love in his plans. Yes. He doesn't want to become yeah. this person. Yeah. Where love just isn't a facet. Yeah. Of their he life. he just says he just says like what kind of a man is that? You know. Martha says that she loves the Doctor. Yeah. Where he never cared for her. I don't yeah. think that's an entirely justified opinion, if I'm honest. Well, she said, he never even looked at me. I think the implication is, like... He, I think she knows that he cared for her on a sort of protective level. Mm. But she's acknowledging the fact that it's a very one-sided relationship in terms of romantic intent. Um, and this scene ends with Redfern telling Latimer and Martha yeah. to leave so yeah. they can have time alone. Yes. And she implores Smith to change, yeah. saying, if he doesn't, this is all going to end in destruction. Yeah. And we get the, probably and, the oh, saddest part of the episode, where they yeah. hold the watch together, yeah. and we see a visage of their future. Yeah. And uh, up until this point, John Smith was saying that the, 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 they want the Doctor. The Doctor's in this watch. Can't I just give them the watch and then mm. they'll just go away? And, and and Joan's point is like, we've seen what destruction they're capable of. Do you want to give these people immortality? Yes. It, you know, um, and, and yeah, and then we get this, yeah, this heart-wrenching little montage of... Them growing old, yeah. having children together. Yeah, a whole, you know, a whole life that could have been. It's pretty and upsetting. It, it is, and and he sort of, he he's seen it, and he asks her, "Did did you see it?" And I don't think she even says whether she did or not, but like her face tells you that she Plus, did, and it's for, for not necessarily a throwaway scene, but for yeah. a very short moment, mm. we see Smith as an old man. Yeah, how much better is the old man makeup than the Lazarus? <sighs> it's experiment? so much better, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's entirely believable. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. yeah and we got a whole episode of yeah. Martin Gattis <laughs> in, you know, like a rubber mask. I think it's fair to say they spent more on this episode oh, than uh, <laughs> the Lazarus experiment. Yeah. Right. So Smith then goes to the family and yeah. asks them to stop bombing. And he says, I'll give you the watch. Yes. Just, I'm happy here. Yeah. 
please leave us alone. Yeah. I have no quarrel with you. Your and quarrels sort of, with the doctor. And he, and he sort of stumbles in and sort of like yeah. bumps, bumps so into he's a wall. falling and, down the wall yeah, and leaning like, on a table. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's like he's a broken man at this point. He just wants them to go away, yeah. proffering the watch. Which Baines yeah. takes and opens, but nothing happens. Yes. Because Smith is the doctor. Yeah, and we get our big heroic reveal. Yeah. So when he'd been clumsy, falling into the walls, leaning on tables, yeah. he'd actually just been pressing the exact <laughs> sequence of buttons he needs for the family yeah. shit to explode. Yeah. How did that moment land for you? I mean, um, I, I liked it. I I, I love it. it. I love it. I think it's. It reminds but me. I yeah. It was quite ham-fisted in showing you him falling over, bumping into things. Yeah, you'd feel like something's up, and possibly. Yeah. I mean, they've tried to set it up earlier with him being quite a clumsy yes. character. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, but even so, you because at the end of the day, we know there's more Doctor Who to come. Yeah. We know it doesn't end with John Smith living out his life. Um, but that being said, I still think it really me. It kind of reminds me of the end of the Christmas invasion where you've got you've gone so long without the Doctor that like when he finally comes in, you're just like, ah, oh, yes, you know, you, you've got that kind of sense of relief that he's back. So this is where we get my favourite part Yeah, probably both the episodes. Yeah. The revelation, the reason the Doctor had been running away yeah. was... Due to the fury of the Time Lords. Yeah, he's, it, he's basically saying... Because it's like, we get this voiceover from Baines. Yeah. Uh, brother and, of mine. And he says, yeah. the worst thing is, he never shouts. Yeah. He's just got this cool yeah. anger. Yeah. And we find yeah, out He that, said he was being kind. Yeah. he was. Be, it was mercy, basically, that he chose to run away and hide instead of facing them. So, when, at full fury, we get the yeah. Doctor... He takes father of mine and binds him in unbreakable chains. Forged in the heart of a dwarf star. He then <laughs> takes mother of mine and just throws her into the event horizon of a black hole. Yeah, to, to and, die. And he says, like, like in a sort of loop, I think, so she'll, like, be forever falling. Yeah, yeah. I think she's pretty much yeah. gets the worst deal. Potentially, yeah. Sister of mine is trapped in a mirror. Not just a mirror. Every, every mirror. mirror. So whenever you see something out the corner of your eye, yeah. that is Sister of Mine. Which is, oh, that's the one that gets me, I think, the most. That's such a beautiful, chilling concept. It's a creepy one. Yeah. And then brother of mine, Jeremy Baines, yeah. is suspended in time to watch over the fields of England. As a scarecrow. As a scarecrow. Yeah. So it ends with him saying... We wanted to live forever, so the Doctor made sure we did. Yeah. Doctor's absolutely brutal in this episode. Yeah. And I think the reason is that his... We haven't really seen his sort of... The darkness spill over to that level since The Runaway Bride, I don't think. Yes. And I think the the reason here is because so many innocents have died. And his plan was... I think he's almost... he's. He's angry with himself and he's taking it out on them mm. almost. Do you know what do you know what I mean? And I think that's underscored by the fact that with this these sort of closing scenes, because then we cut to this is the scene with Joan, isn't it? Like the yeah. wrap up with So he goes her. back to see Joan yeah. and says he can't change back. He won't change back. Yeah. So she says that Smith is braver than the doctor. Yeah. Says that the doctor chose to change, whereas Smith chose to die. Yeah. So the doctor it's a fair point. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. So the doctor invites her along, but she says no. She says no because doctor brought death to their village yeah. on a whim. Yeah, she basically she can't said, love a man. Yeah, that can do that. Well, she she doesn't just state it. She presses him on it. She says, "If you hadn't chose to come here on a whim, would anybody here have died?" Mm. And the doctor, he's got no response to that because the answer is yeah. Uh, 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 no, it, 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 yeah. his cho- choosing to come here is the thing that brought death to their door. And, you know, is this where she also, somewhere at this point, I can't remember exactly where it is, she talks about how, as a widow, I think it might have even been earlier, but I just want to highlight it because I think it's such good writing. She talks about how, as a widow, she felt like she'd never find love again, that mm-hmm. she'd, like that she'd just she's said she felt like the world would just wants widows to just stop yes. basically yes. and it's just is that fair and the answer right obviously is no and obviously she you know it's just i think this is one of the greatest tragedies we have ever seen in doctor who in that in that she had the misfortune to fall in love with a man that didn't exist well, when we when we watched Girl in the Fireplace, yeah, the upsetting thing was, by the time the Doctor came back, it was too late. It was too late. Yeah. But here, his missing out on love, yeah, is all due to his own actions. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, is sort of doubly sad. Yeah. It's, it just it, I'm okay. I'm not gonna lie. This episode makes me cry. It it genuinely does mm. uh, it did the first time I watched it it did the second time I watched it third fourth fifth I I have lost count how many times I've watched this this story every time every emotional beat hits me mm-hmm. and I can't give it higher praise than that I can't oh, that's nice yeah right final little bit then oh yes yeah the last little cherry on top let's go back to my earlier question how yeah. is the TARDIS now in a field <laughs> well a, the doctor I suppose can, the doctor's doctor can got control it. of it now yeah uh, so the doctor thanks Martha for looking after him yeah and Latimer appears and the doctor gives him the watch yeah it's like a nice token gesture yeah. and the TARDIS disappears yeah so Latimer then later uses the watch to cheat his death by shelling he knows the exact moment it's going to happen and he rescues the posh bloke from yeah. earlier. We then cut forward to Remembrance Sunday. Yes. And there's, um, I think, it is it a vicar reading yeah. war poetry? Yeah. We see that there's an old man in a wheelchair, which is Latimer yeah. in his future. Yeah. And he sees Martha and the Doctor putting on a poppy yeah. in the distance. And yeah, that's and where he's, the episode yeah, he's just hold, holding the watch. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. I, it's so beautiful. It's, it's okay. Yeah. There's good bits and bad bits, isn't there? Are there? Are there bad bits? I, I just think the bit in the middle is a bit wishy-washy, and I, I think I'd prefer the family of blood if it wasn't a family, if it was just Jeremy Baines. Right. So it's it's the uh, fact that there's a whole group yeah. of them. Yeah. And but like I say, the the bit at the end where you can see the fury of the time lord, that oh. was my favourite bit by my It's mind. goosebumps, isn't it? Yeah. It re- you 
And it's just, it's a tiny little reminder of, you know, the sort of, do you remember when Donna says to uh, the Doctor at the end of Runway Bride, I think you need someone to stop you sometimes. Mm. It's just a little reminder of that, isn't it? That this is, you know, you don't want this guy going around unchecked (laughs) necessarily. Now, before we wrap up, I owe you an apology. All right. Because I've been really good, and yeah. I've not been watching the next time teasers. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, I think iPlayer just played it. Yeah. The next episode, Blink. Blink. This is the one that I'm aware of. Yeah. That Everybody everyone is. says is a great yeah. episode. Yeah. It's often, um, we'll talk about it in the episode, it's often one that people will recommend as, as even if you never watch Doctor Who, just jump in, watch mm. Blink. Um. And as another little tease for you, written by Stephen Moffat. Oh, really? Yeah. So don't want to set your sights too high, but you've enjoyed this episode up until this point. So, So, interesting. So you know we've gone, we've had a strong couple of episodes here. Fingers crossed. Maybe we've got on for another strong one. So uh, join us for our discussion of Blink next week. Until then, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and uh, cheerio. Bye now. to contact us our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on twitter we are at timenorspacepod and thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme